Chapter 7 of Harry D. or Making It Out. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Charles Lindup. Harry D. or Making It Out by Francis J. Finn. Chapter 7 in which we go swimming and meet with an adventure. In the dormitory that night, I was pleased to find that my bed was next to Percy Wynne's. I retired, thoroughly exhausted from the varied excitements of the day, and, contrary to my wont, fell asleep almost at once to wake only at the sound of the bell next morning. Mr. Middleton, my professor, more than equalled the expectations I had been led to form of him. The boys of his class to a man, <laughs> excuse the bull, were all absorbed in their work. So was Mr. Middleton. For their sixty percent of enthusiasm he returned a hundredfold. The hour of Latin seemed to fly on golden wings, and still not a second was lost. The thoroughness displayed by teacher and pupils was something extraordinary. The theme work and translation seemed to possess all the charm and fascination of the playground. Greek class was conducted much in the same way. Mr. Middleton was equally enthusiastic. The boys, too, were attentive and wide awake though they lacked somewhat that spontaneity of enthusiasm which had distinguished the preceding hour. Very quickly, indeed, noontime came, and with it, a half-holiday. At three in the afternoon, some forty of us, accompanied by Mr. Middleton, took the road through the village leading to the river. It was to be the last swim of the year. The mornings were already growing chilly, and, in the fall months, the river was considered rather unsafe. Frank Burdock, Percy and Tom were my companions. Presently, as we passed out of the village, Keenan, Donnell, Quip, White, Richards, Ruthers, and a number of other boys, whose names I did not know at the time, joined us. You see, said Frank to me, We've got up a little society to say the litany of the Blessed Virgin whenever we go out swimming. That's to prevent accidents. It's a good idea, isn't it? It certainly is, I replied. Percy and Tom got it up, said Frank triumphantly. Frank was about to add something further when he was interrupted by Percy, who called out, Ready, boys? Let her go, answered Tom imparting to the words a seriousness which took away all their obvious levity. Then, in his clear, sweet, silvery voice, Percy recited the litanies, while the others, with every sign of reverence, responded, Pray for us, in low, earnest tones. The spirit of true Catholic faith and devotion was alive in the college. It was a little world in itself, but a Catholic world. Prayer and piety lent a radiance to the atmosphere of play and study. At noontime, I had been not a little astonished when, at the sound of the bell, 
the scene of bustling life and play in the yard was at once changed to a tableau. The batsman dropped his bat, the pitcher his ball, the game of tag came to a sudden pause, and the small boy's shout of triumph to a premature end. Every head was bared, and each boy, where the Angelus had fallen upon his ears, stood stock still while reciting the angelical salutation. Presently, the charm was snapped, and all the pent-up stream of play dashed downward in a cataract. The pitcher pitched, the batter batted, the tagger tagged, and the gay, innocent life went on all the more merrily for that sweet interruption. The same spirit showed itself in the recital of the litanies. All joined in, with a will, and thus in prayer we came within sight of the river. Look! exclaimed Tom. Did you ever see such a yellow river? Looks as if it had the jaundice from smoking too many cigarettes, commented George Keenan. It reminds me, said Tom, of a man I knew who had a liver complaint, I think it was. As the conversation went on, we selected a place for undressing. I'm afraid it's pretty cold, pursued Tom, throwing off his jacket. Are you a good swimmer, Harry? No, Tom, I'm hardly able to take a dozen strokes. Well, you'd better be careful today. Don't go out of bounds. I'll point them out for you. None of us is allowed to go beyond them. And be sure, by the way, to keep pretty close to the bank. Yes, put in little Frank. That's the way I always did, till I learned how to swim well. So did Percy. We've had plenty of practice this summer, Percy explained. You see, several of us went rusticating in Wisconsin on the shore of the prettiest lake one could wish to see. We went in swimming once or twice every day, and now we're all of us quite proud of our skill in the water. But Tom and Percy are the best, said Frank with his medieval smile. Come on there and hustle, exclaimed Tom who, arrayed in his swimming tights, was impatiently awaiting the laggards. In a few minutes we were all plunging about in the water, and there rose upon the solemn air the mingled sound of splashing and happy laughter. But for all that the water was intensely cold, it was hard to refrain from shivering. We were soon engaged in a game of tag, I was it for a few seconds, but succeeded in catching Tom Playfair napping. Next to Tom and standing a little more than waist-deep in water was Frank Burdock. Tom made a dart at him. With a gay laugh, Frank took a leap backward, and as he leapt, I gave a cry of dismay. My fears were realised. A huge drift-log had just floated within a few feet of little Frank, who was ignorant of its vicinity. His head struck against the end of it, and, to my dismay, he went down. I struck out at once, never reflecting that it was all that I could do to take care of myself. With a single stroke, Tom was beside me. Go back, Harry, go back. I obeyed instinctively, and felt at once that Tom was indeed a boy born to command. His Willem happy face was now aflush with energy and determination, as with a magnificent overhand stroke he made for the place where Frank had disappeared. 
Suddenly there arose another form at his side, as it were from out the very heart of the water. It was Percy Wynne, who had taken a long dive and thus put himself abreast of his brave friend. Just then, twenty feet or so further down the current, emerged the face of poor little Frank. His eyes were closed and his face was extremely pale. There was an ugly gash below his temple, and even for the moment that the cut was free from the washing of the water, a stream of blood marked his sinking for the second time. A clear voice now arose. Percy and Tom, go on, in God's name. Everyone else, out of the water. All of us hastened to the bank, in obedience to Mr. Middleton's command, while Tom and Percy made bravely on. Both used the overhand stroke, and breast to breast, cut the water. They were magnificent swimmers. One would almost think they were racing for a wager. Suddenly they paused, and treading the water, gazed around and about them. But seemingly they discovered no sign of Frank's presence. Then, as with one impulse, they dived. The place where the Frank had been carried was far out of bounds and very deep. All this had come to pass within a few seconds. Mr. Middleton had not been idle in the meantime. Throwing off his coat and shoes, he now plunged into the river and came toward the scene of action with powerful strokes. He was a royal swimmer. For speed, I had never seen his like. As Tom came to the surface, Mr. Middleton was at his side. Tom's quest in the underwaters had been fruitless. In another second, Percy appeared alone. There was a groan of dismay from the shore. Many of the boys sank upon their knees as Mr. Middleton, after saying something to Tom and Percy which we could not hear, dived down. The next few seconds were seconds of agony. The sun went behind a cloud, a deathly stillness came upon the scene. Second after second passed. The only sign of movement or life came from Tom and Percy, who were treading water side by side. Oh, those terrible seconds! It seemed an hour. At length there was a ripple and a splash, and a great cry of joy arose as Mr. Middleton broke through the surface with little Frank supported on his strong right arm. Tom was by his side at once, and catching one of Frank's hands helped his prefect shoreward with the unconscious boy. Then, as the party reached shallow water, a cheer arose from the shore such as nothing but excitement and enthusiasm at highest pressure could arouse. Eager hands were stretched out to them and helped them ashore. There never was such handshaking since college began, and there was reason for our joy, since no one was harmed and Frank had recovered consciousness before reaching land. End of chapter 7